Welcome to episode 31 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined in studio from the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my co-host, my good friend, and the man who is committed to not only growing grass, but has a serious smoking habit, Hmm. John Sloat. Yes, smoking meat, just for our listeners who may know of Grace's policies. (laughs) Yes, smoking meat. Matt, yes, how indeed. you doing? I'm doing. I'm doing well. We are. The start of the school year is. It's right upon almost us. upon us yeah. here. So, whatever whatever this kind of summer was, the the weird COVID summer thing that we had going here is uh, almost to, to an end, and we'll be back at it here. Yeah, it's just about gone. Yeah, with a school year that will be unlike any other. The pictures from the school year are going to be fantastic. I'm yeah. excited about the, you know, we're going to go down in history, you know, of, yeah. of doing school during COVID. It's going to be interesting. Yes, Maybe not indeed. great, but interesting. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. So uh, we want to give a special shout out to uh, any new listeners that we have. We know that we may have picked some up with the interview with Dane Ortland this past week. And so if you're new to the show, um one of the best ways to kind of figure out who we are and what we're about is to go back and listen to previous episodes. But uh, you might want to actually start with episode zero, where mm-hmm. we explain the origin of the podcast and, and, and why we're doing this and, and, and what we hope to accomplish. One of the ways that you as a listener can help us out, though, is by going on to the iTunes uh or the podcast app, whatever we're calling it. Apple can't figure out what they're doing with it. I don't know. Or really anywhere you get your podcast where you can leave a review. Exactly. Leaving us a review is a huge help because it, when all the people, the smart people who do math figure out what podcasts they should highlight and such, those reviews help. And so help a ton. Yeah. You can also do us a favor by mentioning us on social media and uh, you can connect with us on social media at VNS pod you can check us out on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. And you can email the show, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. We did have two new reviews this past week, so thank you for those. And as part of our desire to incorporate listener participation, we are collecting questions for a future Q&A episode, and we need your help. Because if, if you don't send us questions, then we don't have questions to talk about. And they can be silly. They can be sports-related. They can be theology-related. They can be whatever you'd like. Yeah, absolutely. So please reach out to us, whether it's to one of those social media accounts, the email address, or even to us individually or personally if you happen to sure. connect with us by email or Twitter or Facebook or something else like that. We'd love to hear your questions, and we would love to – uh, go ahead and answer those the best we can. Well, sports have restarted. They have. It, it was of. the biggest, the busiest August, I think, ever well, in, yeah. in sports, Yeah, uh, which is an interesting thought. You know, in the midst of having everything shut down and everything, this weekend, I think there were 64 different games going on between baseball, basketball, and hockey. Right. Normally, you have that convergence at like in October, right? Towards the end of like end of October when you yeah. still got the World Series going, basketball is starting and hockey have started. Plus then you have football, which is sort of that those last two weeks of October when all are four of crazy. those are going yeah. is a sports lover's dream. We have all these options, right? So it's weird to have it in August. Let's start with 
baseball. It's scary out there. Yeah. Uh, how much longer are we going to have baseball, John? That's a great question. Um, I, I think, well, I saw the commissioner came out last week and told networks to expect a pause on the season, um, whatever that means. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, how do you hit pause in the middle of a season? But I know the Marlins haven't played in a couple weeks now, or I guess probably a, a week. week. Yeah. The Phillies are in the same boat, and the Cardinals went down, and I hear they're bracing for more positive tests among the Cardinals, and, yeah. and some big names are dropping out of the sport, just like, I don't want any piece of this. Lorenzo Cain of the Brewers. Um, and your boy. I know. Joanna Cespedes. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, and it just, I mean, the Mets were, I think there's more to it than he just wanted to opt out. He was batting in the 160s. Um, oh. So not not very well. He was not getting the money that he his paychecks were not the same as they had been in the past. Right, and he's a bit of a moody guy, <laughs> you know. Uh, and I I think for for those of you that don't know the story or did not see the story over the weekend uh, on I believe it was Sunday, um, the Mets had a game at one o'clock. They started the game at one o'clock about one fifteen one twenty. The Mets released a statement saying, "UNS Espedes." Uh, we can't find him, and we don't know where he is, and we filed a missing persons report. <laughs> this is what the NYPD needs to be spending their time So th- they were in Atlanta. Oh, okay. Uh, so, so this was, um, I don't know, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, whatever whatever they're called down yeah. there, um, is now <laughs> looking for uh, Uinus Cespedes. Um, Gosh. And uh, there were a lot of memes. There was a lot of meme shaming, right? Like, yeah. how dare you? We don't know that he's okay, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, and it it sounds it sounds like he told some teammates he was opting out of the season. The teammates did not tell the higher ups. The higher ups and <laughs> the higher ups, I think, assumed that he opted out because they released a statement. We don't know where he is. Yeah. And then <laughs> released a second statement a couple hours later. It was just like we have no reason to believe that he's hurt or not okay. <laughs> um, and and I really think it's 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 from the top, right? It's yeah. the owners trying to shame and hurt, uh, you know, embarrass this player, right? Um, and that's sort of their mo. They've done it to their employees throughout. I mean, you could go look up court cases with the Will Ponds, where they've been sued for attacking pregnant women in their office, and, and all sorts of stuff, like verbally, verbally attacking. Okay. Yes, yes, and still bad, by yes, the way. Yes. <laughs> But no, they, uh, to my knowledge, they haven't hit anybody, okay. although it wouldn't surprise me okay. at this point. So really, what needs to happen is the Mets need to be sold to somebody um, out there. Um, I have my choice of who I want to buy the Mets. Other people have their choice, whatever. But okay. Are you personally interested in buying the Mets? You know, I have about as much money as the Will Ponds at this point after they <laughs> lost out on that Ponzi scheme. So... Uh, so um, maybe. <laughs> I see. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I will just go on record as saying I will not be joining you in that. You will not be joining me? No. No. I, I have no interest hmm. at this time. Maybe of, I'll join the A-Rod and J-Lo bidding group to, to buy the Mets. Why not? Yeah. I mean, what, I mean, the buy-in can't be that much for being a part of that group, right? I can't be that much. I can make it on my gray salary. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, – one restart that does seem to be working, though, is the NBA. Yeah, very, very. I don't think any positive test in the NBA. That's my understanding. Yeah, and they ha- they have a pretty strong uh, 
a penalty system if you do break their rules. So one guy left and went to get wings in Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> um, and that, that's where we'll leave it. Yeah. And I believe that. How long did he get suspended for? Well, was it four days of quarantine? He had to quarantine himself for four days, and he wasn't allowed to play during that time right. or, or any anything like that. Yeah. So um, what they are doing seems to be working. Right. Now, in fairness, it is way more manageable to put, how many other, 22 teams with 15, essentially 15 players plus support staff. So let's say there's 30 total people 30 probably per team. per team. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. So uh, to put them in a bubble and basically sequester them from the rest of the world's population and, and maintain that sort of uh, environment where there's no no COVID, right? It's a little harder to do that with baseball. Baseball has a lot more people. Yep. And I think even harder would be football because football has way more people. Yeah. And I want to come back to football in a minute, but um, so... Have you watched much of the I, NBA? So I'm not a big NBA watcher, but I did watch uh, the first half of Rockets Bucks uh, the other night, and that was a lot of fun. It was okay. it was it was good to watch. It was good to see Antetokounmpo. There you go. Who yeah. got well that done. name? Nailed um, it. Uh, play, and he's a lot of fun to watch just yeah. just in general. So um, yeah, yeah, it was it was fun. But I I'm an early to bed person, so I made it through the first quarter half or so, and I went right. to bed. Well, there was a game. This past weekend, I believe, where it was, I think it was the Mavericks and the Rockets, where I think um, that game in regulation, like the, 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 the end of regulation, it was like tied at 134, 132. I mean, some ridiculous number. The Rockets put up 85 points in the first half. Yeah, I, I hear it's hard to play defense in the bubble. <laughs> Yes, but um, so a lot of scoring. What I wanted to ask about, though, is what do you think of some of the things they're trying to do to create the atmosphere? So if you notice, they've got like the video boards where people, I don't know how this works, but you can somehow log in somewhere and they will project your face onto the video boards and show you cheering for your team. And obviously they're pumping in some crowd noise. I loved it. I thought it was I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, baseball, uh, Fox specifically, has done something similar where when they uh, – not not exactly something similar. They've taken the crowds from the video games yes. and superimposed them in the stands, which was bizarre because sometimes sometimes they do it, sometimes they don't. And when they right. would just pan, you would see all these fans. You're like, what what's going on? Right. You know? But I, I think basketball, I think – the video boards worked. I was really enjoying those. I was enjoying. Yeah. I think they got better crowd noise than baseball. Yes. Um, and and so when when I was watching, I thought, man, this feels like a game that's happening with people there. And I thought it was really great. Yeah, I think it's the best you can do. I, it still obviously doesn't compare to the feel of um, of a real crowd. Obviously, sure. But it is interesting to see how um, you 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 notice the difference that crowds make. Mm-hmm. Like watching baseball without any of that. Like I, I watched a little bit of baseball over the weekend, and it is it's it's bizarre. It's eerie, isn't it? When you know you see in the you're just used to seeing a guy at the plate or in the on deck circle, or where they shoot the maybe a side a side angle. You're just used to seeing full stands, and it's empty. Yeah, it's like like it makes me think 
did the rapture happen? And they're, <laughs> they're just left behind here, which, you know. What do you think of the cardboard cutouts? I think it's all right. It's I a little mean, kitschy. It's yeah. a little kitschy, but, you know, I get that they're trying to do something to get fan participation. So the, mo- the most bizarre thing to me um, when watching baseball is having the cardboard cutouts back there. Yeah. And one of my favorite things to do when baseball happens is when there's a foul tip straight back. Watch people duck. Watch people jump out of the way. Um, and the cardboard cutouts just don't move. Right. And it's, it freaks me out. Like, do you guys not have a, a great understanding of your safety? You know? Right. Yeah. But it is interesting, more so in basketball, I think, than even baseball, is the role of the crowd in providing momentum and energy for the home team. Yeah. So in these games in the NBA bubble, you don't have that. And so it's interesting to see what the effect will be because there's no I mean, yes, they're going to they're going to do some crowd noise stuff to try to give some measure of home court advantage in the playoffs to the to the higher seeded team. They're going to sure. do something. But it's not going to be the it's same. It's not anywhere near the same. I mean, you know, you you're used to turning on a playoff game and it's it's deafening for the home team at the beginning of the game because the crowd's all fired up and how much that plays into uh, how well the team performs. And I think that uh, it, it'll be – you could see a result where uh, a lower-seeded team ends up winning more often perhaps than is usual in the playoffs, I think. Hmm. No, that'll be that'll be fascinating to watch. Which I think, what do we have? Like maybe two weeks before the NBA playoffs start. I think something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think something like that. And one more sports note: um, I'm becoming more and more concerned about college football season. Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> I think you have every right to be concerned. Which is heartbreaking <laughs> as an Ohio State fan because we have such a good team coming into this year, and um, the thought that. The guy that could arguably have gone down as the best quarterback in Ohio State football history, Justin Fields. Mm-hmm. If he put together another season like he did last season, he would go down as the best quarterback to ever come out of Ohio State, mm-hmm. even better than Dwayne Haskins or anybody before him. Not that Ohio State has this hugely rich quarterback yeah. tradition. Who, who is the greatest Ohio State quarterback at this point? I think it's a hard metric to – it all depends on what you're looking at. Yeah. Like the best pro prospect has been Dwayne Haskins. And he's – I think he's going to be – now he's – he's. He may on, not be long for the league depending on this next season in, in Washington. Yeah. Again, so much with NFL quarterbacks ends up being where did you get drafted and who's coaching you and how are you developed. Yeah. Because Tom Brady would not be Tom Brady – if he was not developed by Bill Belichick and coached by him, if if, if you flipped, if you put Carson um, Palmer, mm-hmm. if he had gone to um, New England and Tom Brady had gone to Cincinnati, yeah, Tom Brady would be out of the league. Tom Brady would have been long out of the league and never would have married Giselle. Exactly. So, a lot of that depends on the where you go, how you're coached, what sure. kind of system you're in. But the, the Washington football team, yuck, that's a. That's a disaster. It's a dumpster. We haven't fire. necessarily we haven't talked about that a ton, but it's it's bad. Oh yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yes, college football seems to be um, maybe next on the chopping block. Oh, that would break my heart. That 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 would that would sadden me more than any other sports closure thus far. Thus far. So question for you. 
and this is this is off the cuff. Would you rather across the board all college football is is axed, or all college football except the SEC is axed? And the only football you could watch is the SEC. Well, you know my dislike of the SEC. That's why I'm asking the question. <laughs> um, I would rather have all of college football. Wow. Yes. Wow. And I think my main reason would be the arrogance of the SEC <laughs> is already at, un, at intolerable levels. Can you imagine if they're the only conference that plays? Yeah. Oh, it'd be, the, it'd be bad. The level of arrogance would be unbearable from the SEC. Folks. I think one of the that's an option on the table, though, right? Is that the SEC seems to be the holdout of of the conferences? Yeah, but you know, eventually numbers catch up to them. You know, like I get it, but I I just I it's hard for me to envision a scenario in which the SEC is the only conference that's playing. I just don't think they could withstand the uh, pressure from from all the other conferences being like, yeah, we're done. We're not playing. Yeah. Anyway, what an awful question to ask me. <laughs> <laughs> you ready to transition to our main topic? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of things that we didn't anticipate talking about, um, our main topic for today is uh, the repentance of Todd White. And that's with a question mark, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so. The repentance of Todd White. Yeah. So, so I need to change my inflection. The repentance of Todd White? The repentance of Todd Okay. Uh, Doc, who who on earth is Todd White? Um, and how did, how did he come to prominence? What, what do you know about him? I'm not, I'm not sure, frankly, I know that much about him. Well, I don't – I didn't know a lot about him until recently, until, honestly, the, um, the documentary American Gospel, mm-hmm. which uh, that goes into uh, – pretty good depth in terms of uh, Todd White's teaching. He is a prosperity gospel preacher. I think that's the best way to uh, identify him. Yeah. Um, He's appeared with Kenneth Kenneth Copeland and uh, Bill Johnson, people that we would say definitely prosperity gospel preachers. And he's aligned himself with them and has called them friends. Yes, and and even beyond someone like a Joel Osteen, who I would say is more of a soft to middle of the road prosperity gospel person, he's more of a he, he's more subtle about it, I think, than someone like a Todd White hmm. or a Kenneth Copeland. Um, that's not me defending Joel Osteen. I, I just would distinct. I would distinguish them. Part of it is because. Um, Todd White and that crowd goes all in on the miraculous, right? The, the healings and the, you know, send us money so you, you I can send you this, you know, this handkerchief that's been anointed with holy oil and that will heal you of whatever ails you, kind of stuff. Right, and and just just by you know, the, I think we have a number of listeners who would go, "Oh my gosh, I've listened to a Todd White sermon," or I, I know it's a big deal on even on our college campus here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would say for the, for those of us that go, this doesn't impact me. You know, this prosperity gospel hasn't hit my church the way it's. I, I went to a church in Pittsburgh that was very, very. Um, I, I would call it evangelical, um, and they 
you know, looking back, there were some prosperity gospel moments that were going on there that, that this is something that can hit um, hit us, even, right. even, even in Indiana, even in Pennsylvania, or wherever you find yourself. It can impact your church in subtle ways and not overt right. ways. And I think that addressing those in our uh, among our listeners who are uh, in ministry leadership, pastors or in some form of ministry leadership, what I think people like that need to recognize is even if your church is definitely not influenced by prosperity gospel kind of stuff, there's a very strong chance that at least someone or some people in your congregation are listening to people like Todd White or others who are into this prosperity gospel movement and are being at some level influenced either subtly or very directly by this kind of teaching and by these kind of people. Yeah, yeah. And one that I've seen quite a bit has been Bill Johnson um, out of California, out of Bethel Ministries. Mm -hmm. Um, I know a number of people that have been impacted by him here in our community in Warsaw, Indiana. Yeah. And, you know, Joyce Meyer's another one that's in that that crowd, especially popular among women and such. So, uh, yeah, it's—so as we talk about Todd White, um, in one sense, he's sort of a— an example of someone who is has been all in on the prosperity gospel stuff. And um, the reason that we are talking about this is a week ago-ish, about seven, ten days ago. Yeah, so not this past Sunday, but the Sunday before. Right. Uh, there was a sermon that he preached that, uh, of course, his sermons are available uh, online video sermons, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it started to create a buzz on social media. So explain why this created a buzz on social media. So uh, particularly in the evangelical camp, uh, there was there was a buzz. He, he began to say in this, in this clip, right, it, it wasn't the full sermon, but it was probably a seven to eight minute clip where he yeah. said, basically, I haven't been preaching the whole gospel. I feel like I've recently been born again. I've been reading Spurgeon. I think he said, just to be clear, I think he said, I think I've recently—I feel like I've just met Jesus again, or some, or it's like met Jesus for the first time, or something like that. It wasn't specifically born again, but his language was easily interpretable as, I've just been converted to a genuine understanding of the so, gospel. So I, I, I got mixed up. In his most recent sermon, he used the term born again to describe himself. Um, but, uh, but yeah, basically saying I've repented of not preaching the whole gospel, I believe was a direct quote. Um, and people, people got very excited, understandably, like, is he repenting? Is what's, what's, you know, what, what is going on here? Um, and I think you and I were even texting a little bit about it, trying to, trying to wrap our minds around what was happening. Right. And then, uh, uh, his sermon went up from this Sunday, um, where he said, just like, I've always preached the gospel. Yes, I love Spurgeon. I love, um, who's the other guy he mentioned? Uh, Ray Comfort was another mm-hmm. guy. Yep. But I also love Kenneth Copeland and Bill yep. Johnson and the, these other guys. Um, and it feels like he's trying to put a foot in both camps. Right. Um, and uh, and frankly, that's going to put him in no camp, in, in my opinion. Yeah, though, I, I don't know. I don't know how much that will alienate him from his prosperity gospel folks. Yeah, that's 
I, I don't know enough about what what their ranks are like to know if they oh you you read Spurgeon let's let's move you out of our camp yeah, you know because and again I think this is this was at the heart of um, one of our conversations on uh, uh, by text was uh, to me even before the most recent sermon came out my concern was that instead of repentance, what we were seeing was syncretism, mm-hmm. that that Todd White was simply kind of adding this, let me get a dose of this kind of reformed evangelical teaching hero stuff of Spurgeon and others and guys like Ray Comfort, and let me, let me try to pull some of that into what I already do rather than embrace one and reject the other. Yeah, and that's that seems to be what he articulated uh, this past Sunday. I I think my, my personal hope is that this is part of the journey, right? And he's he's becoming more and more repentant and is going to turn over time um, and repent more over time and mm-hmm. and eventually fully uh, reject the prosperity mm-hmm. gospel. That's my hope. But I'm also you know I I consider myself an op an optimistic skeptic. <laughs> <laughs> which I realize don't go together, but that's what I'm going to call myself. An where, optimistic skeptic. That could be a whole podcast in and of itself there, John. Where, where, I'm, where I'm really, really hopeful that this repentance is becoming more and more true day by day. However, I am nervous about what, what, what you laid out, right? The syncretism yeah. of, of, of Todd White here. Right. Yeah, I was thinking about this um, the other night, and um, I said this to my lovely wife, Kate, I said, here's what's interesting. When we talked about, when you and I talked about Kanye West, yeah, I was more optimistic that there was genuine conversion, repentance happening, and you were more skeptical. And now with Todd White, it's flipped. It's flipped, yeah. I am more skeptical. You are more optimistic. Mm-hmm. Have you been following the news on Kanye, by the way? <laughs> it's gotten weird and wild. I, I agree. I agree. But we're not a gossip column here. Nope. 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 We'll save – we, we probably won't save Kanye for another discussion. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure why that is. I just found that interesting that we've kind of flipped uh, roles here in terms of yeah. Todd White versus Kanye West. And another one that would well predate the podcast would be uh, David Brooks. Where I am very optimistic about David Brooks and hopeful for David Brooks, but you're more skeptical. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so when it comes to thinking about this, I I, I want to turn the conversation a bit, a, a little bit away, at least initially, from Todd White. We'll circle back to him. Okay. To talk about repentance. And in part because, uh, as part of our summer reading group, we read a book— in the New Studies of Biblical Theology series by, I think it's Michael Ovi. That's the that name. sounds right. Yeah. It's called The Feasts of Repentance. And basically, it was a, a study of what repentance looked like in Luke and Acts, but then moving beyond that into reflections about biblical theology, systematic theology, and then even uh, pastoral application of, sure. of that. And so— we thought this would be a good opportunity to kind of draw in some of the things that we really appreciated and learned uh, from that book uh, in 
in conversation because when it comes to, regardless of this whole Todd White situation, I think understanding what repentance is is a pretty important aspect of the Christian life. Mm-hmm. And there's there's false repentance and there's genuine repentance. Sure. And I think talking through a little bit about how do we distinguish between that is is helpful not just in this Todd White situation, but ultimately in our own personal lives, as well as just thinking about ministry wise. Like how do we how do we help people genuinely repent and not just sort of falsely repent? Sure. Um I, I think I think um we're we're even evangelicalism or American churches, maybe we want to say have um, missed the mark maybe a little bit on, on repentance is that we've we've subtly communicated or maybe overtly communicated that repentance is something that we do one time for conversion mm-hmm. uh, and that that's it. Um, however, if you go back in church history a little bit, and my, my favorite place on repentance to go is Martin Luther. Mm-hmm. Um, and his first uh, first thesis of the ninety five was. Uh, uh, something to the effect of God wills the whole of the Christian life to be one of repentance. Yeah. Meaning, uh, and how we've interpreted this over over the years has been that throughout the Christian life, you are constantly uh, seeing your sin and turning to Jesus. Right. Um, uh, turning away from this behavior, this thought pattern, whatever it may be. Yep. And and turning, worshiping Jesus, and 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 finding Him beautiful and and. All those things as a, as a replacement for that, um, yeah. And so I, I think that's a good a good starting point. Um, what else would you add uh, to repentance? Yeah, well, I think here's a good point, uh, a good time to bring in some of those insights from the Ovi book. In that um, he very helpfully ties repentance to, repentance to identity. Mm-hmm. That at its essence, repentance is an agreement with God about who you are and what you've done, and that that encompasses both the, I have sinned, I have violated your holy will, I have offended you as a holy God, Mm -hmm. and at the same time recognizing that God has made provision for you in Jesus, that there's that, that dynamic there, and that, uh, Genuine repentance does, in fact, produce fruit. Does, in fact, produce change. And so, when you, um, you know, when you look at John the Baptist's message in places like Luke three, where uh, you know people come to him, and uh, you know he's very clear about bear fruit, bear the fruit of repentance, and then he gives very specific. Okay, if you're a, if you're a, a soldier. Don't extort people for money. If you're a tax collector, don't take more money than you're entitled to take. Like very tangible, like for you personally, repentance Mm -hmm. looks like this in regards to this. Not in a sort of you have to earn your forgiveness, not at all. But it's there should be actions that flow from a changed mind, heart, will, inclination that will produce changed actions actions as demonstration of genuine repentance. And one of the things he says in addition to the identity piece is that uh, true repentance is a is a fuller understanding of true reality. Right. That it's an understanding of what is really true about you, yep. what is really true about God. And I, I, I found that um, immensely helpful, as well as his articulation that uh, repentance is a gift. 
uh, repentance is something that God grants us. Yes. Um, in 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 life, and I, I, and yet we are responsible to repent. We are responsible to repent. Yeah, yeah and one that's of those a, divine mysteries. Yeah, that's where the mystery uh, <laughs> yeah. c- component comes in for sure. Yeah. Um, so, okay, in light of that, yeah, let's circle back now for Todd White. What sort of fruit of repentance would you, would be helpful to see as a authenticating mark of? This is genuine. This is not. Uh, this is not syncretism. This is not um, some sort of uh, you know false repentance. It's it's the real thing. Yeah. No. That's a that's a great question. I, I think two things really come to mind. First off, and I'm sure I'm sure you have a list as well. But two things really come to mind. It'd be um, saying that I was wrong about these prosperity gospel message and. Other people like them, and people like Kenneth Copeland, Bill Johnson, right. who uh, uh, propagate this message as well. And right. then, and then I would say, putting himself under and getting advice from, and listening to mm-hmm. a uh, good local pastor in the region. Um, I think he's in Texas, so I mean, the first person that comes to mind, somebody like Matt Chandler, to just for for him to go. Matt, how do I, I've never pastored any other way than this way? Yeah, which turned out to be immensely false. <laughs> yeah. How do I do this well, and what yeah. do I need to do? Uh, I, I think those two steps would indicate that there has been true repentance, right? And I, I think here it's important to point out that um, Benny Hinn has said somewhat similar things hmm. in terms of repenting, in air quotes of things that he's taught and yet there's been no change he can sure. the, the 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 Benny Hinn machine continues on un, un, unaltered and so i think that uh, i would completely agree with your with your um, with your take in terms of what would some of the tangible fruits of repentance look like um, and i think that to me it has to it has to involve in one sense him, in essence, stepping away from the prosperity gospel machine that he has built, his own sort of personal ministry that is built on the prosperity gospel. Sure. Him stepping away from that and saying, I'm, I'm done with this, and I am going to go for a season, and I'm going to step out of ministry, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn. I'm going to mm-hmm. recalibrate <laughs> to, to see where I've gone wrong and then— and then relaunch if you know if, if he so decides, and, and maybe even returning some of the money. You know, you know. I, I mean, we look at uh, uh, people that were extorting people, uh, basically the tax collectors in Scripture stealing yeah. money from people. Yeah, you know, they they return that money. Yeah, um, I mean, Zacchaeus is the is the paradigmatic example, right? You yeah, know, Luke nineteen, where you know Zacchaeus, the chief one of the chief tax collectors, is. Um, you know, Jesus asked to dine with him, and as a result of Zacchaeus, at some level, coming to believe in Jesus, Zacchaeus, unprompted by Jesus, like Jesus isn't like you have to do this. Yeah. Zacchaeus, of his own recognition, says, "If I've defrauded anyone, I'm going to pay him back four times over." Like that's a mark of repentance. That's a yeah, you know, absolutely, which would seem to apply almost directly <laughs> to someone like a Todd White yeah, who 
you know, you had these people who are sending in money under false pretenses and padding his own bank account. That, that, that seems like a pretty direct line to, that would be one tangible fruit of repentance. That would be pretty obvious. And, and pretty hard to argue with. You know, I, yeah. I think it'd be hard to go like, well, let's see if he is. Really... No, he's going back a ton of money. Yeah. And, and here's where I'll circle back a little bit to our previous uh, comment about your, my skepticism here and your optimism. Your optimistic, skeptical, whatever blend you are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm a mystery, Matt. Yeah. Uh, that's all I want to be. Yeah. Or just a, millenn- or just a millennial. <laughs> Either way, you, you know. Um, but here is where, since I tend to be a little bit more on the skeptical end of things on these, uh, on these issues, here is where I need to be cautious because I think there can be a tendency when you see someone make those initial steps to be like, well, you got to have it all figured out and immediately figured out. Sure. That, um, People like me probably need to be a little bit need to be careful that we're not quick to crush what could be initial steps of repentance, rather than just embracing, um, you know, ah, skepticism. You know, like like there there needs to be a this could be a process. This this could be one of those two steps forward, one step back kind of transitions in a person's life, and it could take a, it could take years, right? It could take years. Um, While at the same time, I think the, the, the caution to the overly optimistic folks is let's wait. Like let's mm-hmm. let's see Agreed. the fruit. Let's observe the fruit. Let's – you know, we can be hopeful that this is genuine, but let's also not be, you know, fooled into thinking that it is without evidence kind of thing. So yeah, in any absolutely. Case, no, I think that's a good word. Um we can uh, we can put a link to that Michael Ovi book that we were talking about, Feasts yeah, of Repentance. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. It's it's probably a little bit um, yeah, it's not necessarily lay level, maybe upper lay level, like Sunday mm-hmm. school teacher, ministry leader kind of level. Maybe not. It's definitely not on the same level as gentle and lowly. It's not on that level. No, <laughs> no, so, it's not that accessible. In any case, well, we are at episode thirty-one. And so we need an athlete, John. Where are we at? Yeah, so uh, so here are a few choices. Um, we have Mike Piazza, the uh, former Mets catcher, Dodgers catcher, and I believe Marlins catcher for a season as well. Okay. Um, we also have Gregory Maddox. <laughs> Does he uh, go by his full name ever? I don't think so. I think okay. it's just Greg. Okay. Uh, but he's he's a famous prankster um, on that baseball team. Uh, I once heard a story of him following John Smoltz to the ballpark. They lived in the same neighborhood. And at every stoplight, Maddox would just bump his bumper with the front end of his car <laughs> to the point where Smoltz's uh, back bumper fell off at the last stoplight <laughs> when he was pulling into the stadium, which is just fantastic. Yeah. You know, um, OK, Maddox, uh, Reggie Miller. Okay, uh, <laughs> Kurt Rambis. Now, now let's 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 pause a minute for Reggie Miller because we are located in the state of Indiana. I'm aware where where he is uh, highly revered by many in the state of Indiana. Many his, enjoy him for mm-hmm. his performance as an as an Indiana Pacer. Would you care to explain why you dislike Reggie Miller? Um, yeah, so uh, there was 
uh, a time in the 90s when he destroyed the Knicks in a matter of 30 seconds. I mean, it was just bad. So I have not liked him as a player. I've grown to enjoy him as an analyst. He is good as an analyst, yes. Um, And I I hear some radio spots with him every now and then, and I always do enjoy him. Yeah. As a player, not a big fan. (laughs) Okay. Just want to get that on the record. Okay. And then who's our last one there that's Uh, professional? Kurt Rambis. Now, how familiar are you with Kurt Rambis? Um, Rambis, well, I'm more familiar with him, I think, as a coach. Okay. uh, Or as as an assistant coach with the Lakers. Okay. And the Knicks. He was an assistant coach with the Knicks. But I know he was in those Lakers-Celtics games. Yeah. Is that right? Okay, yeah. So he is. He was part of the Showtime Lakers. So 80s. Okay. And he was the guy that didn't fit. Like you had all of these other guys that, that had just like the vibe of they're cool, they're hip, they're these amazing professional athletes. And then you had Kurt Rambis. Who wore the big glasses, glasses. right? Yeah, yeah. Not Rex Specs like Kareem, but like wore glasses that had like the strap tied behind the back of his head. And he to, had kind of kind of shaggy hair. And yeah, he didn't look like he fit, but he was kind of like the the enforcer. Yeah, he was the guy that was gonna you know body up people. He's gonna rebound. He's gonna try to block shots and and just be a nuisance. He was inside. Dennis Rodman before Dennis Rodman. Yeah, but without the weirdness off the yeah. <laughs> We should definitely clarify that. Yeah. And so yeah, I I have a great appreciation for Kurt Rambus as as someone who, you know, would qualify as which one of these is not like the other when mm-hmm. you looked at the Showtime Lakers and it was definitely Rambus. So and All right. what about Ohio State? So we had to go way back in the archives to get this Ohio State player. Vic Janowicz was a running back in the late 40s and early 50s for the Ohio State football team. And won and the Heisman Trophy. Won the Heisman Trophy in 1950. Wow. So he is an Ohio State legend. His number has been retired um, by Ohio State. Uh, so way back in the day, obviously well before my time. And there is a former Jet uh, of recent uh – Years that wore the number thirty-one as well. <laughs> okay, um, Antonio Cromarty, uh, okay. who I think we all know and love yeah. um, as a as a player. But I'll, I'll just leave it there. And if you want to Google something about Antonio Cromarty, okay. you can. All right. So, who you got? For me, I have it down to two. It's between no offense to Kurt Rambis, but it's between Greg Maddox and Mike Piazza. Okay, I'll let you choose. Well, Greg Maddox is by far the more um, historically significant player of those two. Absolutely. Did he, he won over 300 games. I believe so. And yeah. was part of that legendary Braves pitching staff and did it without having overpowering stuff. No, he was, he was, I mean, he was, he was a surgeon. He was amazing in terms of his pitch placement, in terms of location, in terms of knowing what pitch to throw when and where and just kept guys off balance without being a guy that was throwing 98. Mm-hmm. He was a, a master craftsman. So um, if, if you're going to leave the choice to me, I'm going to lean towards Maddox. I'm fine with that. I grew up watching Maddox. He was a lot of fun okay. to watch pitch. Gotcha. Okay. One thing you liked. Uh, one thing this week is uh, during the pandemic, I've picked up 
weird baking things. <laughs> uh, and so this week I tried my hand at English muffins and they were amazing. Like making them from scratch, you mean? Making them from scratch. They take like a day and a half. You got to let the dough rise overnight and then you got to cook them on a griddle. If you're interested in the recipe, reach out to me. I'd be happy to feed it to you. But it was, it's been awesome and they're delicious. So we've turned into a cooking podcast now. All right. So uh, my one thing is uh, the podcast American Scandal, which hmm. uh, previously on this podcast, we have talked about uh, the podcast 1865, which is done by uh, a company called Wondery with uh, Lindsey Graham, not the senator from South Carolina, Lindsey Graham, different Lindsey Graham, who is the uh, producer and narrator. And it um, it goes through these – it goes like four or five episodes on different scandals throughout American uh, life, recent ones. Uh, and so I've listened to the one on – to the series on Enron, to the series on Balco, which was the steroids investigation with Barry Bonds. Hmm. And they're they're well done, and um, the most recent one I uh, segment I finished that's like five episodes was on the corruption in the New York State government. I which, bet that's fascinating. Which is staggering. Yeah, staggering. I spent some time in Illinois, and I thought Illinois had the most corrupt state government, but New York at least will give it a run for its money. Uh, the musical Hamilton that you refuse to watch also mentions how corrupt the New York state government is. Yeah, I'm, I'm standing firm in my refusal to watch Hamilton. Okay. So. Your choice. Yeah, I guess it is. Yeah. I mean, for now, at least, it's still a free country. So we're uh, – are we, are we ready to call this mission accomplished here, John? I think so. I think I got a meeting in five minutes. Yeah. Well, yeah, life does continue for us. So we have – covered our various and sundry topics and so until next time the lord bless y'all real good later